Welcome to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show, where our hearts are our master. A production of CosmicReality.com. And welcome to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show. It is November 21st, 2023. Uh, my name is Nancy Hopkins. Walt Silva's with me and Dolly Howard. And I hope that you're all having a good day. It's been a very peculiar day. <laughs> you may have been listening to Radio 5G and it suddenly cut out halfway through the show. Uh, that was because some... Something happened during the first show, and that was uh, a two-hour <clears throat> recording I did of an interview with um, Janine Strong. Well, she did it with me. It was on her her platform, and I said, you know, it's all about Shungite. I said, I'm going to play it for the Shungite reality because we did have a uh, few people that weren't going to be there. So uh, it was up, two-hour show, started on time. And then, and none of us, well, I was, I, I was looking, monitoring it, but I wasn't paying any attention until I had to make sure that the next show came up. And I am going like, what in the hell is the matter with this show? Why hasn't it ended? And then I'm li listening to it and I'm going, this, this is way up in, you know, this is an, a lot of time between the end of the show. What is happening? And nobody in the audience said that they heard a repeat of the show nobody said that they heard any kind of a ch nothing it was just like we went to some weird time warp and you know it, it repeated itself for an hour the last hour it didn't default to the first hour and then play that first hour it went to must have gone to the end and something glitched and it went back to middle point of the of the show because it actually ended exactly at three o'clock instead of two o'clock when it should and you probably didn't follow any of this but i wasn't following it while it was happening i'm like what in the hell so can you ask the bossy what happened no walter good lord why, why what that would it? be interesting that would be interesting yeah, yeah like they're gonna be they're gonna tell me anything about that i mean no i don't why know not? I don't I, waste the posse on that kind of thing. Yeah, you know, he's got this weird thing with the posse. I Ask know, he posse. does. Jeez, he's got two of the most knowledgeable people on the face of the earth on his show with him, and he wants to talk to people that we we don't even know where they live. <laughs> <laughs> okay, posse, you can go away now. Don't ever, oh, don't, don't ever bother. Hey, well, who gives you permission to tell the policy to go away? <laughs> They're not here. They're, you see, Walter, I think you're misunderstanding the posse. The posse is here to hear you, you, me, and Dolly talk. They're not here to answer questions. They're here to enjoy us because we're just so enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
They don't want to be bothered by questions. What are they asking us now? Uh, <laughs> more popcorn, more pop, pop. You know, I mean, it's like, come on, they're having a party. Oh, so, we can, so, so we can tell them it's all your fault because you guys don't tell us anything. So now you you, you don't What's have anything. What's all their fault? <laughs> There's have nothing that's their fault. Nobody said that we need, you know, that the posse was going to give us the answers. It's like, they're there. Now, when Dave comes along, he might give you an answer or two. Dolly, I mean, do, do you ever talk to them like you talk to God and talk to Dave? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. And do they have, is there individual, that so you have more familiarity with them, or is it just a, a group? It's a group. Know? Like... Uh, like they're one, but yet they're individuals. They're they're a group, but they're individuals. Gotcha. And different ones will talk to me at different times, and we laugh and joke and have fun. But we don't do uh, solving the world's problems or the computer problems in Nancy's house, or. <laughs> <laughs> I just, think it was. I think that the station glitched. Is what I think. I don't know how it did it, but I, the only. Th I mean, I went through everything I could imagine, and I'm going like, this is a glitch at the station. This couldn't have even happened. It was nothing I did. I mean, I checked out. I put that tape through every single audio sit program I have. To see if they've all agreed on the time. And yes, it was 1.59.52 seconds. They all agreed. So how can... I don't know. I still don't know. But I feel that maybe somebody needed to hear whatever was on the last of that tape. Yeah, so that could Yasmin. be. Yasmin felt the same thing. And she listened to it, the whole thing, for three hours. Well, I only heard it the last hour because... Three hours? Did you yeah. play three hours? Yes, that's what I'm saying. The first two hours, well, at the at the end of the two hours, I was there waiting for the change of the of the the, you know, the thing, and it wasn't ending. And I'm so so I start really listening to it, and I'm going, this isn't at the end of that show. This is more like you know, at the at the beginning of the half uh, first hour, and I got so confused as to what was happening. And then it just kept going and going and going and going and going. And I finally started listening to the to the actual tape to find out how much longer is this going. But that's what I'm saying. It was weird because whatever happened, it ended at three hours, not two. Well, you got me confused now. When it should have. You played I mean, it on the Shungite show, right? And the Shungite show is two hours, right? Exactly. How but did then, the third hour get in there? I don't know. That's the mystery. <laughs> it certainly is. <laughs> and, and yet, and yet it, it ended at the top of the hour. I mean, that's, that's what was most confusing and why I think something else was happening. Because you got the first hour, then you got the second hour. And the second hour replayed, apparently, and ended it at the top of the hour. Well, Yasmin so, says it was three hours of show that only took up two hours of time. 
<laughs> what the heck? <laughs> and then and then J- Justin comes in the show and he's like, "Hi, I'm here." And I'm going like, "Oh my god, what time does he think it is?" Cuz he oh. no- he, nor- he normally starts the Shanghai show, you know? And I said all I said to him was we're having a weird day here. Look up at the chat that's been going on because <laughs> I wasn't about to try to explain to him or to ask him what time. You, why are you here now? At, you know, during the this magical third hour that we don't even know where what's happening. It was strange. Anyway, that's the way the day was. Oh, uh, well, this, is a, this is supposed to be normal because this is the way it should be. We shouldn't be fixed to a specific amount of time. That was a, a cabal invention that was hoisted on us. We're supposed to be free of that. That's why you're, it's like, uh, I don't know if you've heard uh, this guy talk. Uh, he he's, he uh, does channeling like uh, Jeffrey Hoppy, and he channels something that he calls them the group. And they, they talk about that, is that you, uh, time should be completely flexible. Like if you need a lot of time to get something done, you should be able to play with it. Let's say you have uh, 20 minutes, but you need to get the this one, two, three things done before that before the 20 minutes are up. You can actually stretch the time. And also, if you if, if you don't need so much time, let's say you need to be something done quickly, you can make it shorter. So. This business of being stuck. Oh, I have, I have three hours left. Oh my God, I'm gonna no. You're not supposed to be a, a slave of time in that in that way. It's the cabal who did it. They for, forced it. Why do you think they forced? Uh, like in the Middle Ages when they they started putting uh, uh, what do you call it? Uh, clocks in every in every city square. Uh, Andrew Barsis speaks about this. This was done on purpose so that everyone would be synchronized on the same on the same time, because it, otherwise they, you, we would regain our, our freedom, we, the freedom to be you know have a long time or a short time. You 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 get the time that you need. You don't time doesn't rule you. You are the you set up the time that you want. That's the, that's the normal way. This business of being ruled by time is not natural. So, it's you guys experienced it. <laughs> you played well, around and you and you played. You got the amount of time that you needed. Well, that may be true, and this may be the first time I've said that was a good idea. <laughs> because if you, I can tell you the the confusion in my head, and. How do you plan? I don't. Is this going to be three hours, or is this going to be four hours, or maybe it's going to be one hour? How how could you well, do it? it? See, you you are still thinking in in all terms. You need to know how much time is X amount of time in order to figure this out. You do it the other way around. You decide how long this has to play. Don't don't let the time this decide for you. You decide. Okay, this has to play. X amount of time. That's how. That's how long I want it. I want it to be X long. Who, where that's coming from? It doesn't matter. It it is going to play this long. So you don't get to, you know, time doesn't decide for you. You decide the time you need. Well, I can tell you, I didn't think it should run three hours. 
Yeah, and, and plus the fact, you know, thank God Yasmin was there because it was like if she wasn't there to to confirm that she said, I didn't hear any glitch, I'm not hearing repeat. And I'm going like, how could this be possible? Anyway, oh, Yasmin, I love you. <laughs> you she's always there to, you know, and well, she and Bob have got that radio station. And... Um, Wait, wait until she experiences it. <laughs> okay, in the beginning, you experience a lot of weird things that you can't even f figure out. But I've been at this for, what, 10 years? You know, it's like, by now I should have my... Well, I, but, you know, when you're in a woo-woo universe, oh, my God, it was so strange. And the funny thing is, is that the... the, uh, the the, the interview actually went three hours. It's just that the first hour wasn't in the tape. <laughs> I don't know if that has anything to do with it. I've got to tell Janine about this. This was just so strange. Well, I actually posted it on her Facebook to let her know I was replaying it. Um, <clears throat> and maybe some people hadn't seen it yet. It Is was that the name of the lady that was on the recording? Janine? Yes. Janine oh. Strong. Yeah. Oh. Margo. So, it, uh, <laughs> would you say, Walt? Janine Morigo. She's got a, a French last name. I know her as Jean Strong, Janine Strong. Oh, oh sorry. Dif different Janine then. Uh, maybe. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what you listened to. I heard the name Janine. I, th I, I made the connection about the lady who does the tarot. Since oh we, no 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 no! She has her own podcast. Okay. She's what? She's one of us. She's she's our age, Dolly, and well, not quite our age. Maybe I don't know, but she's she's up there in age, and experience and knowledge, and she just is, does a quite a few. It's uh, realjanine dot com. Real Janine J A N E A N J A N E A boy, I never would have guessed that spelling. I'm writing it out. J A N E A N. Yeah. Wow, very real, interesting. Real, real. Yeah. Um. <laughs> yeah, I had fun with her. She, she was very good about asking questions that were pertinent and um. It was a good. I thought it when I listened. I didn't listen. I don't. I, I, you know, when I first started radio, I listened to every single one of my shows because I wanted to know what I was doing right and what I was doing wrong. Now I cannot listen to myself. I'm just like Derek. It's like, oh, she stopped talking. Please stop talking, because <laughs> not only do I hear it on the radio, that's the same voice that's in my head. <laughs> <laughs> You're very, very <laughs> annoying. Please stop talking. You're driving yourself crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yes, actually. Oh my god. So, um, yeah, you were missed on Saturday. It was a uh, well. Jan had fun, and Mona was very engaged. Really? Yeah. Good. And um, Walt did his thing, you know. Didn't get himself in any trouble. Just was very brilliant. It's normal. 
So, yeah, and Jan was uh, mostly listening. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh so God. there you have it, Dolly. You are the cause of all the arguments. <laughs> Don't do what we started. It's Dolly. Dolly's fault. Oh, well. <laughs> So why don't you tell us about your trip there? What what, what all happened? Oh, um, but we were all wondering how Doc was going to react because Doc's not been around dogs, uh, other dogs, and uh, he's not really socialized. He hasn't been around other people's and family. And uh, so I bought him a muzzle because he had bitten Jake. Uh, and he went down way deep through the muscle. So I bought him a muzzle to put on him so that he didn't, he won't bite anyone else like that as long as he has his muzzle on. And the muzzle worked, and uh, Duck didn't fight it. He just, pre- he acted like it was a normal thing that he didn't like. So we got to their house, and um, we went in, and the dogs made, uh, well, Leo was sniffing Doc's butt, and Doc kept trying to hide his butt, tuck it under him. <laughs> he, he'd never had some other dog sniffing his butt. <laughs> so finally, we got relaxed enough with, because Doc wasn't trying to bite anybody and we took the muzzle off of him and he did really good and then uh, later that night he started sniffing Leo's butt <laughs> oh I tell you we just had a good time watching the dogs interact and interacting with each other and making plans for the next day and the next day we went to Disney Springs and uh, we got the Wetzel pretzels which are big pretzels with salt on them. Oh, they're so good. I just, they are delicious. So we went there and got those at my insistence. And then uh, we came home and Annette had bought and had shipped to Sherry's house the cute little aprons and... uh, a uh, head thing you put on and it had lights on it and so there were blinking lights as they were making cookies and um candy and and I, I just had a good time with them and Logan joined them Logan is Sherry's son my grandson so he was having a good time too and uh the next day We didn't do it. Oh, I think the next day was Sunday, and that day we came home. We came home about, left about one when the the big game was on with the bears. And Shannon likes the bears, so we didn't want to be in his way for the bears. So uh, we left then. And we got home, right? Right when the map quest thing said we should, and we rested. I mean, I was freaking exhausted, so we rested. So it, it was a good time. We, I thoroughly enjoyed it. 
I was with my family finally, and I kept remembering that I'm not going to cry. Sherry and Shannon were gone from the U.S. for four years when the boys were little and Sherry and Shannon were younger, of course. He was stationed at Ramstein Air Force Base in Germany. And so I didn't get to see them for four years. And I was with them then, this this last weekend. And I'm going to be spending a week there because Sherry's going to babysit me while Net goes to Kansas City. And so I will be there uh, the day, of, no, day before Christmas until a week later. And I get to spend more time with my kids than I got to in the four years they were gone. And I, I just was thoroughly appreciating it and thanking God and, and uh, thanking Dave. Dave was there. He was all excited for me, too, so that's why I thank Dave. And that's it. Well, you know, uh, in, in regards to that muzzle, yeah. On, Duck, what you might try to do is you might try to put it on and say, Oh my god, he's so handsome! Oh, you handsome dog, and really, you know, tell him how handsome he is. <laughs> because, because I had a, a fox terrier, and I don't remember what he had done to him, but he needed one of those collars on. Oh, yeah, okay, and Collar of shame, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, no, no, we told him he was a king and he was handsome, and oh my god. When I took that off of him, he was so pissed at me. <laughs> you can't, you can't even imagine. Oh my gosh! It, yeah, because that was he was special with that, that thing on. Oh, that's cute. That's a good idea. So give it a try, you know. Yeah, because well, I'm sure we're going to be doing it next time we go, until. We get used to it because uh, over Christmas time, uh, uh, all of Sherry's family will be there and Shannon's mother. Um, oh, God. You're going to have a packed house. They're all staying at the same house? Well, we're not. No, they live there. They live in Orlando. Oh, 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 I see. Okay. They all have their own places. So oh. uh, we'll be doing that. Okay. Thanks so so, so that's that's a really useful trick trick that Nancy said. So so when the, so when your wife tells you, oh that that uh, that uh, sweater that your mother sent you is really good on you, honey. It's not really true. <laughs> <laughs> might not be true, or it might be true. You know, reality is what you think it is. Like it, it's true. <laughs> Oh my gosh. Um, okay, so um, Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Now, we somehow we're on Say What Show. Mona, uh, I don't know, somebody, somehow or another, Thanksgiving was brought up. And Mona went off on how, what an awful day that is. Oh my gosh, why? Well, I didn't want to ask. <laughs> well, she said it. It was because she believes she believes that Thanksgiving is something you do every day, not just one day a year. So she was disgusted with the idea 
of the of having it just one day a year. She says, I give thanks for every day, not just once a year. So yeah, uh, but she said, but she said that after she said that these are the people that killed everybody, and and you know she's Native American, and you know she was like bad mouth and the the pilgrims like well, they had done all this killing they she blamed them for taking the indians food yeah and stealing their food and stuff yeah oh right oh. yeah so anyway um because i you know i used to think that i was pretty solid in history but now i'm realizing that they didn't tell me the truth and a lot of the things that they should have told me they didn't tell me so if somebody tells me that, I don't need to be right. You know, I just need to know. So I did. I did a a, a lookup of trying to figure out what what was she talking about. I, I that I didn't want to get into it at that show because we we're having such a good time and nobody was arguing and nobody was upset. <laughs> so I just sort of like avoided it. You know, uh-huh. I, I admit to bo- avoiding it. Um, but so today, well. Yeah, somewhere in the last couple of days, I was able to. Oh yeah, today. Um, so, what? What I'm gonna? Let me see. Have I got this right? Okay. No, I don't. All right. I've got to do something here. What? What I want to do is I want to play a, uh, a story. It's called uh, "The Truth About." Uh, Christmas, like some these secrets of Christmas. I don't know. I don't remember what it is, but it it was. Um, my problem here is that I changed the name of it. Okay, that one's the one I want. And um, this is a story that I knew. I I grew up in Massachusetts, and this wasn't the whole story, but. What's being talked about in this 11 minutes, I, I, that's what I believe Thanksgiving is. And then they, then I look, I kept looking at, you know, what, trying to find out what she was talking about. And then I found another uh, story that is the truth about Thanksgiving. And in that one, you get not so much the the it's not like the pilgrims went out and killed people or did all this it's it's the white people it was the people from europe that came in and yes absolutely i mean they talk about reparations to the slaves i say well if you're going to do that then you better give reparations to the native americans because those are the people that really got screwed so um i'm going to play that because you know, you have to you have to honor what what I think that Mona was trying to tell us and what we should be aware of. And then I'm going to try to talk you down. <laughs> but here, it's only it's only five minutes. It's only five minutes. When I think of Thanksgiving, what comes to mind is not thankfulness or a big turkey. What I think of is far more important and serious. Every year at the end of November, families all across the United States celebrate the Thanksgiving holiday. 
This occasion has evolved into a time of expressing gratitude and sharing a bountiful meal with family. Relatives have awkward conversations while a huge turkey is scarfed down around a table. When I was in grade school, my history books depicted the first Thanksgiving meal as a peaceful gathering between white European settlers and Native American people. But there is a lesser known truth behind this narrative. This Thanksgiving origin story that I was taught in school was a revisionist and whitewashed version of what actually happened. Following the arrival of Christopher Columbus on the shores of America in 1492, a steady stream of white European families traveled across the Atlantic Ocean to settle in this new territory. At first, they were ill-equipped to handle the harsh realities of its wilderness and climate. But indigenous tribes fed them and taught them how to grow corn and other crops to live on the land. Then, everything took a turn for the worse. This is where the revisionist whitewashing in this story happens, because it was not a peaceful coexistence between Native American tribes and white colonial settlers. Empowered by their religious beliefs and a racist disdain for the indigenous tribes, white European settlers murdered and stole from the indigenous communities who had been thriving on this land for thousands of years and multiple generations. These colonial settlers destroyed indigenous cultures by eradicating them and even sold captive tribal members off to slavery. This brutal and racist genocide continued throughout the expansion of the United States westward to the Pacific Ocean. Five-term governor of Plymouth Colony, William Bradford, described Native Americans as savage people who are cruel, barbarous, and most treacherous. At every level, the settlers were intent on vilifying and disempowering indigenous people. Thanksgiving has been whitewashed as a symbol of kind gratitude expressed by the white European settlers toward native tribes. This revisionist history only serves to silence the stories and voices of the millions of indigenous people who were slaughtered under a heartless and cruel colonialist agenda. Since 1970, the United American Indians of New England have carried out a national day of mourning during the U.S. Thanksgiving holiday. This is what they have to say about it. Thanksgiving Day is a reminder of the genocide of millions of Native people, the theft of Native lands, and the relentless assaults on Native culture. Participants in National Day of Mourning honor Native ancestors and the struggles of Native peoples to survive today. It is a day of remembrance and spiritual connection, as well as a protest of the racism and oppression which Native Americans continue to experience. As you enjoy your turkey over Thanksgiving, you have the power to acknowledge the impossibly sad and deeper truth behind the occasion. Talk about it and share this truth, or perhaps do not even celebrate the holiday at all.
People often say that ignorance is bliss. I would take this a step further and say that ignorance is a complete lack of compassion. We need more compassion in the world. Compassion toward the indigenous survivors who continue to face this oppression. Within our hearts and minds, we need compassion that honors the lives and dignity of the millions of murdered indigenous people of America. So <clears throat> that's a sobering thought. Your your thoughts on it, Dolly? Oh, I that's the way I learned it. Oh, you did? Yeah. I wasn't upset about it because that's the way I learned it and and I feel bad for the Indians every Thanksgiving because they really really got screwed in all ways. And and I feel bad for the Indians, and um, I've always always felt that way because that's the way I learned it. But when you said that um, that we shouldn't just feel bad for the slaves who were black, we should feel bad for the Indians, so we should also feel bad. For the Chinese, we should also feel bad for the Japanese. We should also feel bad for us because white people were taken into slavery. We should feel bad for everyone in every race that was taken into slavery. So when they say, oh, the poor black people, I think, well, oh, the poor other peoples who were made into slaves, not just the black people. It's all peoples. So, um, but but your Thanksgiving story, I'm glad you played that. I, I really am. People should know this stuff. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I totally agree. Walter, you got some thoughts on this? Oh, well, like uh, all human history, it's all a big fat lie. It's like uh, when I, when I've... Uh, We've had this conversation many times with my mother. Every time we remember different historical things that people celebrate in Argentina, it's all based on a lie. It's all based on some invented. And like always, uh, they say like history is written by the the guy who wins. It's not real. So it is the one who who wins or the the kid the one who kills most of the people. He's the he's the one who wins, and he writes his, your his version of the of, of the story. That's why when when you're looking at the history books, they're all just a big lie. It's like my father had a collection of books that he would bring from because for I how long was it? I think 19 years. He worked for a big uh, German publishing house called Pauser, and. Uh, there, there were all these books in a in a closet in the house, and you never heard of them. And it turns out that they were like forbidden books. He, they would come in, and because they they had no permission to sell them, he would bring them home with him. Like that's how he had the protocols of the sages of Zion, a big forbidden, a one forbidden book. So it was like uh, there was another one 
uh, on the history of uh, San Martin. He was the equivalent of uh, General Washington in this country. San Martin was the called the father of of uh, of the land because he liberated uh, Argentina from the Spanish, and uh, he was so disgusted with what he found when he came back to the capital that he actually left the country and never came back. Can you believe the the? Imagine Washington wanting to leave the U.S. and never coming back. That's how he disgusted he was. So the real truth of of all histories is is so dirty and it's so been it's been altered over and over again. So it makes you wonder why you know why bother study such a thing. And and that's why that's why I am I'm, I'm I'm sorry I don't do shamanic journeys because when, with shamanic journeys uh, at least I could do a search on something what. Did this truly happen? <laughs> we'll get some answer. No, this didn't happen like this. What happened? This, this, and this, and this. that's why I always feel curious and I always ask questions of uh, Dali's posse because something doesn't sound right, and, and and your body is telling you this is not right, and you and you ask the questions and you invariably you get the truth. Yeah, this is like this, not like that. So. Well, I I agree with everything you said here, but you're not talking about the spiritual side of things. And there's something that happens on the holidays that is a different energy feel to it altogether. As you get up to the Christmas holidays through Thanksgiving and stuff, uh, there's a lot of angst involved. Everybody's all upset and they're, you know, doing the holiday thingy. But once you get between that time of the Christmas and the New Year's, it does feel like a transformational, at least energetically, that happens on the planet. So when you get to the January 1st, it's it's a big deal. The the energy is 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 heightened it's okay we got a another chance at another new year and you know all this happiness and stuff and there also if you if you look at it, different things if you you know i mean we talk no normally talk about you know staying as the observer and get the whole game you know board in front of you but in some cases it's down to the minuscule stories associated with something that may have a truth to it that is very profound because in my experience with Thanksgiving one of the main players is a Native American by the name of Squanto and it wasn't you know it wasn't a big thing but it was something that I picked up early in the Thanksgiving uh, pomp and circumstance around it and the stories that were in, involved in it in, in Massachusetts. And so I'm going to play this. It's uh, 11 minutes, but it's it's his story and the story about Thanksgiving. And why I'm playing it is because this is one bizarre story that is incredibly important to the history of this country. So Let's just take it 11 minutes and listen to this. 
Thy help cometh from the Lord, who keepeth Israel. The Lord of Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. He shall become thy shade upon thy right hand. He shall protect thy incomings and outgoings. In the winter of 1620, the pilgrims at Plymouth are struggling to survive. The long journey to America has taken a heavy toll on the weary travelers. They were not equipped to deal with the many challenges in the New World, and nearly half perished in the early days of their journey. In the midst of their struggle, they humbled themselves and turned their hearts to God, praying for His mercy and providence to protect them and establish their community. Dear Lord, find us in the wilderness. Their prayers would be answered through a series of divine and tragic events that occurred years earlier in the life of a young native boy named Tisquantum. It was the early 1600s in the area that would soon be called Massachusetts. Tisquantum and his tribe were curious about the white men from across the ocean who would visit their shoreline from time to time. When the ships arrived, Tisquantum and others went to investigate. During one of those visits, an English sailor, Thomas Hunt, not satisfied with his opportunities. Hunt broke trust with the tribes and took Tisquantum and 23 other natives aboard his ship. The natives were forced into the ship's hull and taken across the ocean to Spain to be sold into slavery. Distrust for the white man grew in Tisquantum's heart during his travel across the sea, and he wondered why the Great Spirit would allow him to be so mistreated. Tisquantum did not know what his future would hold wondered if he would ever see home again. Upon landing in Spain, the slave traders sold several natives. But Tisquantum was set free by a group of Spanish friars who disrupted the event before Tisquantum's sale. The friars took him in, and he lived among them. He learned how to speak Spanish and about their Christian faith, about the one true God of the Bible, and his son Jesus. They taught him their self-sustaining lifestyle, planting and harvesting crops. Tisquantum grew to love and trust the monks, and life was good with them. But his desire to return home to his people, his tribe, never left him. He longed for the familiar places, the family and friends from whom he had been so violently taken. He prayed to God that somehow, someday, he would be able to return to his tribe. God heard his prayers. The friars devised a plan to get Tisquantum back to his homeland and to his beloved tribe. It would not be easy and it would take several years, but their plan was put into action. He made his way to England, where he lived with and worked for an English businessman named John Slaney. 
Slaney and his Newfoundland company were looking for opportunities to expand trade with the New England natives. Disquantum had learned how to speak English fluently and would earn his way back to America, working for the company as a translator. Hope sprung up in Disquantum as he believed he would soon be home with his tribe. He remained in England for a few more years, but Tisquantum's hope never died. He'd been places that few in his tribe could even imagine, and he longed to tell them about all that he'd done and seen. Finally, in 1619, everything was in place. Once more, he sailed across the ocean. This time, his destination was home. With his feet finally back on familiar soil, Tisquantum ran towards his village, excited to be reunited with his loved ones. His heart was crushed by what he discovered. Plague had ravaged his people only months earlier and everyone had died. Of his tribe, only Tesquantum remained. Confused and alone, he pondered his existence, his purpose. Why had he endured the years of struggle and false hope in strange lands? Why did he make it all the way home, only to find such devastation? Thoughts of death were not far from him. He was accepted into the neighboring Wampanoag tribe, but in his heart, he knew he did not belong. Word came to Desquantum that a group of European settlers had set up their camp on the very site of his former village. They were English, pilgrims. He spoke their language and knew their ways. He saw how they struggled to survive, how they prayed to Jesus for help, for hope. His heart went out to them, and he longed to help them. With the blessing of the Wampanoag chief, Tisquantum made his presence known. The pilgrims were filled with fear at the sight of him. So far, relations with the native tribes had not been easy, and tensions were high. As Tisquantum neared the entrance of the village, he raised his voice and spoke in perfect English. My name is Tisquantum, and this is Big Bear. We mean you no harm. The pilgrims were amazed at the sight and sound of him. They welcomed him in, and he made his home with them. In the spring, Tisquantum taught the pilgrims what he had learned from his own tribe and his time with the friars in Spain, how to plant crops and fertilize seeds. He was their interpreter and helped make peace with the Wampanoag and other tribes in the area. Before long, he was more at home with the settlers than he was anywhere else. He lived with them and in many ways became one of them. In the fall of 1621, the harvest was abundant the pilgrims were thriving. 
God had answered their fervent prayers through his quantum and in the process healed his broken heart. In November of that year, the pilgrim leaders held a great feast, giving thanks to God for providing for their needs. William Bradford, the leader of the pilgrims, asked his quantum to invite the Wampanoag tribe to the Thanksgiving celebration. They came and joined the party for three days, and there was peace and joy in the region. Brothers and sisters, we gather today with thankfulness in our hearts. The Lord in his mercy has planted us and established us here. We have seen times of adversity and mourning and scarcity, but now the Lord shows us a time of harvest and plenty. And we are thankful for Squanto who has joined us in our pilgrimage here to worship God freely. His path has not been easy, but the Lord was with him and sustained him and brought him to this place before us. And he has been an answer to our prayers here that the Lord would provide for us, provide a way by his mighty hand. And the hand of God is with you and has never forsaken you. The psalmist tells us, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. And today, with our friends and our families and our neighbors, we will declare this a great day of thanksgiving, and we will celebrate, and we will praise the Lord for his mercy to us and his presence with us. Amen. Without Tisquantum's help, the pilgrims may not have survived those early brutal years. Tisquantum put his faith in the God of the Bible and lived with the pilgrims until his death. He became known as Squanto, and his legend lives on today in the story of the first Thanksgiving, the Native American man whom God used to answer a desperate prayer from a desperate people. So there's another version of uh, Thanksgiving. Dolly, you got a thoughts on I, that? I, I hate that I got so sad that he had to lose. I knew it was going to happen. He'd get home and they'd all be dead. All the way till that time I was thinking, he's going to get home, they're going to be dead, damn it. <laughs> but uh, that's a nice story, too. And it, it ends up nice. Well, it, actually, when I was growing up, I never heard that the villagers are died of plague. I don't remember that. If they said it, I probably didn't understand it as a kid. But that sort of got lost in the shuffle. <laughs> you know. But, um, Walter, what did you think? No, it was it was very inspir inspirational, and it also shows a positive side of things. I I know that we are we are uh, painfully aware of the doings of the cabal in our reality, how everything has been 
altered by them. But not everything is altered by them. They're not they're not a, as powerful as we'd like to think they are. So positive things do happen because let's face it, uh, there is a, such a thing as, as freedom of choice, and not every action out there is horribly evil. It, that would be uh, that would be so inaccurate because not not everyone is evil. Not everyone is killing babies. Um, forget it. <laughs> we don't want to go there. So there are inspirational stories such as this. But it's it's also unfortunate. Is like you said um, the business of the, like he lost his tribe because they died of the plague. Well, unfortunately, the um, the uh, the U.S. Army use that as, as a ploy for example in the western states uh they contaminated blankets when the uh when the natives were suffering from the the cold in the in the winter time they gave them contaminated uh, blankets so the blankets were contaminated with uh chicken pox and they uh, and they don't have they didn't they don't have the defense for it that's that was the problem with uh, a lot of natives people and all these European, these Europeans were riddled with illnesses. Like, uh, for example, Native Americans, especially the, the natives in the islands, they don't, they didn't have uh, venereal diseases. They didn't, they didn't know syphilis. They didn't know. Whereas the Europeans were riddled with all kinds of diseases. So a lot of native natives suffered because the, these white people were so stinking sick and full of diseases and uh, and the US the US army contaminated a lot of uh, blankets with chicken pox so uh, i don't know if an entire uh, tribes suffered for it but they killed so many people because they would give them blankets so they wouldn't freeze to death but they were contaminated so you know this it's it's so there are so many stories on both sides it's good to hear, uh, at least uh, hear an inspirational story uh, once, at least. <laughs> <clears throat> well, I mean, this is a very critical story. If it um, wasn't for Squanto, Squ 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 Squanto, Squanto. Um, if it wasn't for him, I may not be here. Because my ancestors came over on the Mayflower. Now, the direct line to the Mayflower, it doesn't exist because they don't even know who was on the ship. But the link goes back to, I forget even what his name but is. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There is, isn't there a, a group of people this, uh, in Massachusetts? Isn't there a thing called the, um, the Mayflower Club? And they gathered every year to celebrate the uh, surviving descendants of the Mayflower, I, I know that from the the ex girlfriend of a of a friend here, that she she's descended from the from her family was on on the Mayflower, so she she's um, a direct descendant of uh, um, what do you call it um, Benjamin Franklin. He, she's a direct descendant from that from that line because his his he. He's descended from people who came in the Mayflower. 
Well, yes, they can find, yes, you can follow the genetics back there, but th there is no uh, manifest for who was on it. Oh, yeah. So in my case, all right, my family line can be brought back at the same time that you have the Mayflower people there, but we don't know if he was actually on the Mayflower because at that time, it wasn't just the Mayflower that came over. There were other ships that came over, and it was the practice of families that it would your brother your brother would go with you, your cousin would go with you. It was a group thing, not just one individual getting on the Mayflower and going. So they know genetically that if you get back all the way to the time frame of the Mayflower, you still can't be guaranteed which boat your ancestor came on. And we can only go, we don't go to Stephen Hopkins, who was registered as being on the Mayflower because he survived and he was, he has a history. His son was, Oceanus was the first baby born, unfortunately died after a few months. But um, so, but the key here is that Stephen wouldn't have probably survived, nor would my answer survived if they hadn't been taken in by the Native Americans because that whole trip over was one nightmare after another. They were supposed to have, have sailed, I think, three months before they actually did. It might have even been more because of whatever reasons. There was one thing after another. And so they got there in basically the winter time instead of being in time to make, you know, a garden. And that's that's where they're really, you know, got into trouble. So if it wasn't for this Native American who had one unbelievably bizarre set of bad luck getting him to Spain, but then amazing luck in that he fell in with some friars and gets with a, sh uh, a shipper who gets him back home. And then he has a tragedy of the tribe not being there. So the only thing he, he can do to save his own self is to befriend the pilgrims. All right. Now, to me, that that story in and of itself is got massive amount of spiritual connection. Well, he was so he was enough. educated specifically to deal with those people. Nobody else could do it. Well, he could speak the language. Well, but that's what I'm saying is that he was transposed. He went back. He was a brought back to the to the Euro European lands, he went back to Spain. So with all the traveling and, and the languages that he learned, they actually, he was trained and prepared to be able to help these people because the local natives weren't, didn't understand these people, but he knew them, knew them, understood the language, understood their, their culture, their religion. The natives didn't. The natives didn't that's know that. Why, that's, that's why <laughs> there was so much problems between the Native Americans and the, the colonists was because to they totally couldn't alien. speak language. <laughs> yeah, totally <laughs> alien. <laughs> you, couldn't have, you couldn't ask for more alien people to, to cross their path. So one yeah. of them needed to be educated properly. Well, it's just, you know, it gives you the two versions of <clears throat> how you may want to view uh, Thanksgiving, because if Plymouth hadn't have survived, 
it would have been another group of people that would have. The same outcome would have been the same. But with the pilgrims there, it's like you said, Franklin's, you know, family came from the Mayflower. Would Benjamin Franklin have been around? You look at the, the growth of this country and you can sit, continually see the, the, the touch of God in it. That's why in, you know, it's so important that the main documents of the United States say, in God we trust. I mean, because they were religious people. Yes, it was the Christian religion for the most part. But they, they, they were, their focus was on spirituality. And it's too bad that the Native Americans couldn't have talked to these people because, you know, the Native Americans, they exist in a state of spirituality. But for whatever reason, their time was up, and now you got a new group of people coming in. Um, yes, it's a terrible tragedy. We lost a tremendous amount of probably stability in our society. But anyway, we're at the top of the hour. Unless you guys got something more to say about that, we'll just take a break. And welcome back to Cosmic Reality, <clears throat> second hour. It's November 21st, 2023. Sorry about that. I was eating a chocolate. <laughs> um, Ooh, chocolate. <clears throat> well, these things are great. What the heck are they called? They're called winter notchet chocolate, dark chocolate dominoes. And they've got like raspberry in them and. <clears throat> they're like bite size. Normally, I I take three bites out of it, but because I was on the radio, I just took the whole thing at one time. <laughs> but, oh dear, that wasn't a good idea. <laughs> anyway, um, okay, so I think we uh, had an interesting discussion about Thanksgiving. I hope you people enjoyed it. This is November twenty first. I say that already. I guess I did. And uh, Dolly Howard and Walt Silver on with me, Nancy Hopkins. Um, so I was watching TV, and they were discussing the connection between humans and Mars. And you know, oh, the guy that's on Skinwalker Ranch that's a handsome guy, Dolly. Travis. 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 I always want to call him Trace. I know that's not right. Travis. So Travis is, and some others, we're talking about kind of like weird things that happen to human beings that, well, like, for instance, astronauts who are in anti-gravity for a while, they begin to develop a different rhythm of Sleep patterns. What's that thing called? The the cycle, the cerebr something. I never can remember that name, Walt. Walter, are you here? Yeah, yeah. I was just muted. You mean the circadian rhythm? Yes, circadian. I don't know why I can't get that circadian. Okay, so that rhythm that when they're up there in gravity, that cycle you, you shifts mean in in, in non-gravity, anti-gravity. Anti when they're up there for a while. And it goes back to something that you would have on Mars instead of Earth. 
And they, you know, noted this and found it very interesting. But then there's another thing in that the, the human body makes two types of fat. And one of those fats is made when the person is in the environment of about 70, 67, I'm sorry, 67 degrees Fahrenheit. And the, the mean temperature on Mars is 67 degrees Fahrenheit. So I, that kind of fascinated me. So I went on a hunt to find out more about this, to, you know, look at it. Well, I couldn't really, I couldn't really find anything specific to those two points. But as I was looking through this, I came across this concept of uh, panspermia that, well, I'm going to just play it. It's only five minutes, but it'll give you a feeling why um, we may, human beings on Earth may have originated on Mars. The, the the DNA, the, the whole chemistry of life. So let's just listen to it. Did humans live on Mars before Earth? The prospect of life existing albeit for decades out there, is Earth really the only one actually hosting anything? And even if it was found that life doesn't exist on other planets right now, could it have existed somewhere else in the past? Somewhere relatively close to home? This is Unveiled, and today we are answering the extraordinary question, did humans live on Mars before Earth? Are you a fiend for facts? Are you constantly curious? Then why not subscribe to Unveiled for more clips like this one, and ring the bell for more fascinating content. Though it's widely believed that Mars in its current state couldn't support complex life, there are various theories to suggest that ancient Mars may have been a much more hospitable, habitable environment, perhaps at one point even more so than Earth was. It's thought that more than 3 billion years ago, the red planet was actually similar to what Earth is now in terms of climate and conditions, with vast lakes and warmer weather patterns. In terms of whether it ever hosted life, NASA's Curiosity rover has provided plenty of apparent evidence that it may have, or at least that it was a possibility. Curiosity was launched in November 2011 and landed in August 2012 with the primary goal of exploring the Gale Crater, an area that's now believed to have once been a sprawling body of water. The rover's mission objectives were, and still are, very far-reaching, but much of what it does, collects, studies, and records, is done so that NASA scientists can try to determine whether Mars could ever have hosted life. First off, while navigating the Gale Crater, Curiosity discovered a host of specific molecules and carbon chains which, according to NASA, could have contributed to the formation of early life. Since then, during Curiosity's further exploration of the Martian landscape, it has found evidence of sulfur, nitrogen, hydrogen, oxygen, and carbon, elements that are also essential to life. We are, after all, carbon-based beings. The puzzle is by no means complete, and at the moment, there's no solid, irrefutable answer on whether life does, has, or has never existed on Mars. But it does seem as though early Mars at least contained all of the fundamental pieces necessary for it to happen. John Grotzinger, the chief scientist behind the Curiosity rover, has every confidence that Mars was once a habitable planet, even claiming that the water that once filled the Gale Crater would have been safe to drink. It's an exciting thought, but it also ignites another question. If life was initially on Mars instead of Earth, well, assuming for a second that life at some point did in fact exist on Mars, the prospect of the two planets somehow exchanging organisms might not be all that far-fetched given their close proximity. 
At the closest point in their orbits, Earth and Mars are approximately 34 million miles apart. It is a massive distance, but not exactly insurmountable in the grand scheme of space. And here we get to the panspermia theory, which suggests that forms of life exist throughout the universe and travel through space mostly on meteorites. The chances of microbes actually surviving such high-speed interplanetary trans-star system journeys are definitely low, but studies have shown that it is possible. And we do already know that various meteors from other celestial bodies have made their way to Earth, and that Mars has been pummeled with space debris in its past as well. So if there's even a grain of truth in the panspermia theory, then it may well have played out on our planet and the red planet. And across billions of years, such events may theoretically have passed vital material from Mars to Earth. Much more recently, scientists like Stephen Benner of the Westheimer Institute of Science and Technology have added more fuel to the theory, arguing that thanks to its store of the element boron, early Mars may have actually been a better place than early Earth for the creation of RNA or ribonucleic acid, an essential building block for life. So perhaps life really did develop on Mars first before traveling to Earth, or at the very least an adequate store of boron made it to Earth via meteorites to kickstart evolution here. It ties closely with the phosphate problem, which science has long been trying to figure out. The problem posits that early Earth couldn't sustain the vital phosphates needed to create life, but early Mars could well have done. In 2013, shortly after Benner revealed his ideas on why Mars may have been a better breeding ground for basic life, the University of Nevada's Christopher Adcock led a study which found that it was much more likely that phosphates on Mars would have developed in water, compared to phosphates on Earth which weren't as compliant with water. So, seeing as we believe life started in water, Mars is arguably a more likely early home. As interesting and possible as it may seem, though, the idea that life existed on Mars is still just a theory, and the jump from the red planet perhaps hosting early microbial life to it being the long-lost home for an ancient line of actual human beings that we no longer know about is still a massive one. Depending on who you ask, some form of life may have existed or may still exist on Mars. But walking, talking, advanced, intelligent, and recognizable humans? Not likely. For those trying to pinpoint the origin of life, though, Mars offers an alternative to our own planet, with some claiming that Earth increasingly seems a more unlikely source. But there are plenty of questions Mars in general, not really happened to its atmosphere. While there's still no proof that life has ever existed or excelled there, the general consensus is that it's at least possible. What do you think? What do you think, Walter? Well, we, we know they have their own version of the gin. So they, they are full of life. It's just that, uh, unfortunately, NASA, when it comes to <laughs> disclosure, NASA is number one at keeping secrets. So who knows what's going on on Mars? We, we the general public, are not privy to know. Because well, they keep uh, <laughs> all that information under under wraps. Well, I've got another one that I'm going to play because it's so interesting to see the limitation of science in that people tell you something, but they don't know everything. So they only give you a snapshot of something that is erroneous because you don't know everything. And this concept that there's no proof that there was, you know, living, walking, talking people on Mars is just not true. Well, I have a silly, silly question here. I, I heard what he said. Okay. And they say that, oh, what are the chances that there was life on Mars? Um, 
So all the monuments are there accidentally? Well, that's they, what they, I'm they, saying. They, they, they fell off the back of a truck <laughs> and by accident? <laughs> but, it, but it gets even more interesting. But before we begin, Dolly, is there anything you'd like to say about that? Excuse me. I think that uh, definitely there's been beings on Mars and not just us, the, you know, the human beings. And I think there's still people there, but that's <laughs> my thoughts. Well, <clears throat> I was talking about this subject with Jan Shaw, and... Um, so she and I did some little bit of research because I was telling her about something. And so then I found a video on it. And I'm going to play that now because it, supposedly the reason that we have so much ET involvement with the Earth now is that we got to be a, a civilization that could actually set off nuclear bombs. And that got the, you know, the attention of everybody else. So, it's like, this only makes sense that somehow or another, let's just play it. These are NASA's unexplained files. August 2012, NASA's Curiosity rover arrives on Mars. Just beneath the surface, NASA scientists are expecting to find red oxidized iron dust, and plenty of it. What they're not expecting to find is evidence of a nuclear war. A devastating conflict that seems to have taken place on Mars 300 million years ago. Curiosity rover has been sent to Mars to analyze the chemical composition of the red planet. What it finds, to the surprise of planetary scientists, are significant amounts of Xenon-129. The Mars Curiosity rover found that the abundance of Xenon-129 is much higher than what we see here on Earth. What process is creating this enhanced abundance of Xenon? Scientists around the world struggle to explain the presence of this radioactive isotope. Among those analyzing the data is Dr. John Brandenburg, a former NASA physicist and deputy manager on the Clementine moon mission. Brandenburg is amazed for one simple reason. Xenon-129 is the byproduct of nuclear weapon explosions. I have shown this to several nuclear weapons experts and they have affirmed that this is nuclear weapons signature. There is no other process that can create such a xenon spectrum. Earth has experienced over 70 years of atomic bomb testing, each time leaving traces of xenon-129. But the Xenon-129 reading on Mars is still two and a half times higher than that found on Earth. The presence of certain elements on Mars indicate that there was a nuclear explosion or explosions on the surface of Mars at some point in the planet's history. Brandenburg observes two nuclear hotspots in the northern hemisphere of Mars, where radiation levels are higher than anywhere else on the planet. 
What's more, it appears the nuclear blasts were occurring in midair, above the surface. What's also interesting is what is not found. There is no crater at either site, indicating that these explosions were airbursts. The size of the radioactive hotspots leads Brandenburg to a devastating conclusion. We're talking nuclear weapons size of the Empire State Building dropped from space and detonating kilometers above the surface. Historically, if you look at pictures and listen to first-hand accounts of the explosion of the bombs at Nagasaki and Hiroshima, it's the same sort of thing. No crater, but massive explosion, massive expansive energy, total destruction, everything in that energy's path. Brandenburg has analyzed the Mars rover data to establish when this nuclear holocaust occurred. Best estimates for time scale based on isotopic evidence is that this happened 300 million years ago. This could turn our concept of Mars completely on its head. Many scientists believe that millions of years ago, Mars had an atmosphere and liquid water, conditions where life could thrive. Mars might even have had oceans and lakes. Humans have looked for signs of life on Mars since telescopes could first scan its surface. In 1877, Giovanni Scaparelli mistakenly thinks he sees irrigation or transport canals crisscrossing the Martian landscape. In 1976, the Viking probe sends back low-resolution photos wrongly identifying pyramids and a giant sphinx-like face. But in 2016, Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter beams back higher quality images of what some have interpreted as the ruins of Bronze Age-style walled cities. Obviously, a civilization in that state wouldn't have had the capability to blow themselves up with nuclear weapons which means that somehow some other predatory alien race must have intervened. Imagine the inhabitants of this Martian civilization. All of a sudden, there's huge flashes of light and heat. Destruction reigns everywhere, and everything you've ever known is destroyed in an instant. It literally would have been hell on Mars. The weapons not only wiped out the civilization, but basically destroyed the biosphere of Mars, so it could never recover. The idea of a Martian civilization destroyed in this way seems incredible. And scientists have looked for other explanations for the presence of Xenon-129 on Mars. After all, it is possible for nuclear activity of sorts to take place in nature. On the continent of Africa, in the country of Gabon, there's a uranium deposit that's been discovered. And it shows clear evidence of a sustained nuclear reaction similar to what occurs in our fission reactors. Under very unique conditions, water flowing through the uranium deposit can cause fission, the same process used inside an atom bomb. But this thing did what it did 1.7 billion years ago. Not only were there no humans around then, there wasn't even multicellular life on Earth. Nature has illustrated that it can create its own nuclear reactors. The question is, could this same event have occurred naturally on Mars? 
But former NASA physicist Dr. John Brandenburg says the material found on Mars cannot have been produced by any natural nuclear process. A natural nuclear reactor, if it had gone unstable on Mars, not only would produce the wrong xenon spectrum, but it would have created two massive craters, and there was no craters. The ground was absolutely smooth. Brandenburg believes the evidence points in one direction. 300 million years ago, intelligent life on Mars was destroyed in a nuclear war of the worlds. We've now discovered that humanity is not the most evil species in the cosmos. We are not an aberration on nature. We're part of the fabric of the universe. And not everything in the universe is friendly. If this happened that Mars was attacked by aliens, it happened when there was virtually no intelligent life on Earth, so they wouldn't have noticed us. But the question remains, now that we're here, are they coming back? So, what do you think about that? Well, you already know about it. You already, you already know it was a Pleiadian weapon that stripped the atmosphere of Mars. You're the one who told me. Yep, that's true. But, I mean, from the standpoint of... I mean, just thinking about it, I get tired. I feel like this complete fatigue, you know, that 300 billion, how many 300 million years ago they were having a war. You know, one thing I've never checked really was what's, does any, do you know, Walt, if they've given some kind of a determination as to the uh, time frame where um, Malik just exploded, the where the astronaut. Oh, that was, that, or you, you're thinking in terms that it might have been destroyed prior to to Mars definitely because when if you read the uh, the raw material the law of one books the 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 people the um, the people that were in Maldic moved to Mars and then when they they <laughs> had the, the destruction of Mars they landed on on the on the what do you call it the South Pole that's why when uh, if you if you read you've heard of the, the 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 lectures by Wilcock when he talks about the what was it what's the word that he uses um, the specific name the guys that have the long head these oh oh pre Adam exactly the pre Adamites the pre Adamites moved to Mars after the destruction of Maldek. And then they moved to Earth after the destruction of Mars. And I I know from the Law of One book material that it that talks at length about the uh, the the because the Na the Native Americans have a, a very interesting legend to explain why the makeup of the Bigfoots are so unique because according to the uh, the the Native American legends, uh, all animals were invited and they would receive their their uh, their animal soul and, and their own unique soul. So each animal, so each animal like a human would have two souls, the soul of the physical body and the soul of the spiritual body that's going to be with that person. 
That's that's what the legend says. But when the Sasquatch were invited, they said no. That we don't want another soul. And and it, when I read the, the the legend of it, it made perfect sense to me because Ra relayed the information that it took for I don't know how, how many thousands and thousands of years it took for all the souls to re to reintegrate and to become complete souls again, because everyone everything when the when Tiamat was destroyed, uh, the the souls were fragmented tremendously. So it took thousands of years for them to reintegrate and become complete souls again. So it would make perfect sense that after having experienced such a terrible trauma, they would, they would choose to be them, their own selves. They don't want another soul. So it would make sense to, to me because they're, they're, they are, all the, the Native uh, Americans have that story that they are the only ones that have a single soul. And when I read the Law of One books, oh, okay, that there's an explanation why why they don't want another one, they don't want another soul in themselves. Well, there may be an exception to that, um, because I've well, if if there's any, I mean, I don't know if it's true or not, but it, it could be true because so many people believe it that we're created in the image of God, and I don't think that we look like God. I think we have the spiritual capabilities of God in a limited form, but there. And that when when you look at it, you go, well, what is the number one thing that God does that nobody else does? And that's imbue somebody with a soul. So I kind of feel that when we take in an animal and we love that animal, we're actually maybe sparking uh, uh, the soul that was turned off or imbuing that being with a new soul. With yeah, another. That's, that's why the domestic animals are more spiritually advanced than wild animals. Oh, yeah, by a long shot. Mm-hmm. I mean, these people talk to me. You know, it's, uh, it's really, it's when you live with animals, it's a to- totally different lifestyle. If you're if you're aware of them, you know if you if you do use them as if you do, respect them mm-hmm. as sentient beings with four legs, which I envy a lot of times when I'm about to crawl. <laughs> oh, I wish I had four legs. Boom. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, I I find it fascinating this connection with Mars. Oh, for those people that Walt made a, a remark about the the, the 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 war thing, I don't even remember how it happened. But you know, I I'm doing something, I'm asking questions, and all of a sudden I'm like, you know, out of body in another body, going through some experience. And in this occasion, um, I was in a small spaceship. Uh, there were three people in the spaceship. And they're coming in, they're flying this thing, and they're coming into Mars with the concept of setting off and basically a nuclear bomb. Um, and they, the weapon fired, but the response in when it entered the atmosphere of Mars was like just, well, 
it happened so quickly that even with the distance, you know, between what was happening on the planet and where the ship was, it seemed to be forever, but it seemed to be instantaneous. And, I mean, the ship was destroyed. But, and I asked about it. I said, okay, oh, I said, geez, that's, that's a hell of a way to go. I said, so this was the blowing off of the, of the atmosphere of, of uh, the planet. And I don't think I knew about that nuclear signature. Maybe I did, but I don't know that I knew that when I had this, uh, this weird thing happen. But my question was, was I know that the, the guy that I was, you know, inhabiting at the time, um, he, he was totally shocked. I mean, it was nothing like they expected. So my question was, was what happened that it, you know, was so much different than what was intended? Because they were just after a military outpost. Uh, so, the, and the response was, well, it wasn't, it, it was, it, they, sh- <clears throat> they showed me an image. And in this kind of imaging that they send you, it's, it, they have to use the, your, your library bank of what you know or what you think, you know, about something. And in this case, it was, uh, a group of black magicians, you know, in their weird, spooky kind of clothing and stuff. And apparently they knew about the Palladian attack and they were quite comfortable in destroying Mars. So this atomic bomb actually was intensified. It was like the detonator to a how, how to explain that, uh, to to a trap. It was a trap. They had put up an enormous field of energy. <clears throat> so when this, this nuclear explosion happened in that massive energy circle, power point, it caused... Um, it ignited the atmosphere. It ignited the atmosphere, and but it even was more than that because, you know, the gin, we know the gin got killed in it. It blew everything up because... Why are the ETs so interested in Earth now that we've been using nuclear power? Because when you say, and Oppenheimer himself, he said, you know, we might end everything if we fire this off. But not all all the gin was destroyed because you said that there was a a different kind of gin living on Mars. Yeah, well, you're you're forgetting what we did, okay? okay? Because what happened was that when we were talking about this and, and going through all this, and this had to have been 16, 17, I don't know. And um, the question we had asked was, what? Well, first question was, is there a, a Gaia creator consciousness associated with Mars like Gaia on Earth? And yes, and her name was given as Terra, which I find very interesting because now they a lot of people are calling Earth beings Terrans, you know, um, which probably is true. But so, but it, and and the Jin were with us at the, the time when this was a live radio program. We were just doing this, you know, and um, so we you you asked, is there Jin on Mars? And they said it's our little brothers. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. Uh huh. Okay, our little brothers. And that's when they explained that they didn't survive the change in the, you know, destruction of Mars. And so 
that's when we connected with Tara herself. Because without the gin, you're, you don't have your security force. You can't protect yourself in any way. So um, we connected with her and our gin, and, and uh, we, we asked her if we, it goes back to the time thing, if we go back into time, as this is about to happen, as it's happening, and our Jen and Walt and I grab them and bring them into the present time, can we save the Jen? That was that was what the question was, and she said yes. So that's what we did. So we went back into time, just as it was dying, brought them back to the present. So yes, there are Jen, the little brothers on Mars, which we bore, I've worked with over there I hope they don't hate us because Mars looks terrible compared to the original Mars why would they hate us (laughs) well well we leave them we we took them from you don't know something all right because you just don't know it that uh, Mars is terraforming itself the skies are now blue yeah, I've seen the I've seen the photos. Okay, so think which, about that. W- which indicates a presence of uh, of oxygen. Exactly, an atmosphere is forming, and it actually is pretty solid now. They're just keeping all that from us. Now, those little people that are up there doing, thinking they're 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 terraforming. No, you're being used as a 3D story about how Mars got its atmosphere back. The gin are there and working. Terra's in charge. I know there's a reptilian life forms because Randy Kramer has spoken about it when he spent his 20 years on back in on on Mars. So there are there are there's, there's a lot of critters on the planet. Yeah. You know? I I sometimes wonder if I know this, and I, I'm pretty confident that this is true. Um if I know this. I'm, I'm wondering what uh, Musk knows. What does he really know? <laughs> you know, why is he so intent on getting back there? It's, well, it's starting off with the fact that uh, he that's not the original Musk anyway. So, but uh, at least he's uh, uh, with the good guys, with, with the white hats. If you say so. I don't well, know. Who's no, who. I, I don't I say don't, so. I don't know who's who anymore. <laughs> Janine did a did a deep dive on it and asked the question if that's the original Musk, and she, according to her cards, not it's not the original Musk. So uh, if, even even his be, his behavior before and after, it's a totally different personality. So okay, um, but. You know, we want to jump to the concept of, well, maybe this has something to do with um, cloning or they've been replaced or whatever. But I I go back to when Donald Trump was being elected in 2016, November, and what Starfire Tor was doing at that time, had been doing which was she was studying the timelines and every timeline where Hillary won, won there was a uh, 
third world war within months. But when Trump, when she ran it for, you know, well, what happens if Trump is, is elected? She, the way she put it was, he's going to make absolutely necessary changes, but it's going to be very chaotic. So, but I'd rather a little chaos than a third world war. So, she, and I didn't know this until shortly after the election, like the few days after the election that she had actually done this because she wasn't being open about what she was doing. She was enlisting thousands and thousands of people that were following her to tell her what was the, not Hillary or Trump, but who would who would be the best leader for the country. And they were the ones that were saying, well, they should be like this and this and this and this and this, which conformed to Trump, not Hillary. And so it was that power. She wasn't talking about changing timelines and stuff like that. Um, so anyway, that, so when he came out, now I'd been watching him. And every time I'd watch him, I had the, the Trump, you know, crazy in me. I couldn't, I mean, it was very difficult, but I started to force myself to listen to him. And, you know, it was like, even though I thought he was talking sense, I still had all of this programming in me. But when he came out from behind the curtain to accept the nominate, to, to accept the election, the person that walked out was totally different. Absolutely, totally different. And according to Starfire Tour, there had been a timeline change. Now, if that is possible, if that's what actually happened, my question to all these, to, to all of you who keep talking about a clone change, uh, you know, this, could it be, and I, I agree, I'm seeing the changes too, but could it be that there's so many versions of ourselves in the cosmic reality that could it be that the timelines are changing and therefore the people are changing. You know what I'm saying? Am I making myself at all clear? Yeah, according to Bart, it says all it takes is 53 people to be in agreement for a local local reality. So if you got 53 people agreeing on the same thought form, on the same intention, that's it. That's one reality. Interesting. I wouldn't have thought it was that low. Yeah. Uh, that, why do you think they've kept us in the dark for so long? Like being fixated on a single on a single timeline, like oh, like oh, the clock rules. The, the clock is the is the task master. You can no. Time is time is my slave, not the other way around. I can make it longer or shorter. They don't want you to know that. Why? Hey, don't don't, <laughs> don't How's your eyes doing? Pretty good. They're really doing better than they were before. And every once in a while, the left eye uh, gets really, uh, I see more darkness in it. And I just tell it, no, no, you need to go away. I'm on the way to uh, healing. And it'll go away. Hmm. So it's, it's in a state of flux. Yeah. We're all in a state of flux. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, do you have any comments on the on the Martian thing? 
No. 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 I just... Uh, I think we uh, came... Well, I don't know if we came from there. I think we lived there a few points in our existences. And um, I wouldn't mind living there myself and and enjoying what it has to offer. Um, but I do have something I want to read before we leave. Okay. Let me get that out. Where did I put it? Right here. Okay. I wanted, because this is, I consider it the start of the holidays, the start of the sadness that attaches to people and that people uh, experience because of one reason or another. I want to, from now through Christmas, find something positive, something nice to read to us uh, so that we have a good thought in our minds. In this one, I found... Uh, at Good News Network. The title is After Teen Dies, Friends Visit His Grandma for Breakfast Every Wednesday to Ease Their Loss. Remove this down. It's Wednesday morning in St. Louis. Outside Peggy Winkowski's house. It's not just the sun or the song of the birds that arrive at her front door, but a horde of hungry teenagers. They're all students from Bishop Dubourg High School, ready to enjoy a hug with Grandma and a plate of hot food as part of what they together term the Wednesday Breakfast Club. But it hasn't always been bacon, banter, and bright eyes. The breakfast club took a new meaning when Grandma Peggy lost her grandson, Sam Crow, and the Bishop Dubourg Southmore. He was a Bishop Dubourg Southmore to a hit and run last year. It was the young Mr. Crow who first started the breakfast club, which used to meet at a nearby diner. One day he announced, my grandma can cook better than this. And so it was that the mediocre diner was abandoned in favor of Grandma Peggy's. Every Wednesday, a baker's dozen teens would show up for bacon and eggs until the fateful July day when the group learned of Sam's death, and breakfast became the last thing anyone felt like thinking about. This is until the very next Wednesday, when hoping to make the spirit of her grandson proud, Peggy was up before dawn, warming skillets, cracking eggs, and whipping batter. And not wanting to be poor guests, the teams came back in greater and greater numbers, just about every Wednesday afterwards. They came here every day for the whole week, said Grandma Peggy. They just wanted to make sure that I was okay. 
Sam would be so proud. She told CBS News, Steve Hartman, look at what he started. It melts my heart. We benefit from her. She benefits from us, added Breakfast Club member Maya Dozier. It's like we feed off each other. And that's the end. But I wanted to leave you all tonight uh, with a happy thought that the teenagers did that. Teenagers. So not all these teenagers we see are bad teenagers. Just remember that when you start to think a bad thought about a teenager. There's a lot of good ones out there. Yeah, I, I have a lot of faith in the young ones. I was telling somebody, I said, look, it, it, the, the young kids, yes, there's a bunch of really ignorant dumbasses. I said, but the young kids have got to have been sent here because they're, they've got a mission here. This is the biggest show in town, in the cosmic reality town. And I think if, if I hope that everybody that listens to us realizes that we are special in that we volunteered to come here and to make these massive changes that are underway. And I trust that the kids are part of that, you know, the, the, mo- the, the, the waves after us of, of people that come in. So I, you know, I, I'm real happy with the kids because I do think that that, that that they're there to do their job and we just have to help them do that job by believing in them mm-hmm. sending them love blankets like Dolly says yep um, teach them to uh, wake up from their parental programming <laughs> or lack of programming well that's the, that's the problem is that the, the parents are so thoroughly programmed into the old ways and that's what they're getting away from we want to get away from that old programming and, and make this new reality. Do, do you want kids to follow the old rules, the old regulations? No. You want them to wake up. Well, one of the one of the people on um, the Fox network is probably Gutfeld. It sounds like something he'd say. But, yeah, it was Gutfeld. And he was saying, you know, there is this, this tendency for young people to reject whatever is accepted. He said, right now, what is accepted is this woke agenda. He said, these kids are going to reject it. <laughs> you know? Makes sense. And it makes sense to me. You know, let's hope. Let's hope. So, was there anything on your list there, Dolly, other than your very awesome reading there? Uh, yeah, I have an update for Trump. Uh, on his New York Engeron trial, um, Judge Arthur Engeron has just been overturned, stayed in parentheses, by the New York State Appeal, State Appellate Division, the Appeals Court, for the fourth time on the same case. His ridiculous and unconstitutional gag order, not allowing me to defend myself against him and his politically-based 
and out-of-control Trump-hating clerk who is sinking him and his court to new levels of low is a disgrace. They are defending the worst and least respected attorney general in the United States, Letitia James, who is a a worldwide disgrace, as is her illegal witch hunt against me. This is Trump talking. The radical and unprecedented actions of Judge Engoron will keep businesses and jobs forever out of New York State. I have done nothing wrong. My numbers were low, not high. I have a complete disclaimer clause. Their star witness admitted he lied and made up his fake case against me. And the attorney general used a Get Trump platform in order to run for AG and governor. She failed. This wicked attack on democracy must be ended now. So that's the update on Trump. That uh, freaking crazy evil judge won't listen to the courts who are higher than what he is and cease and desist, basically. So um, it'll be interesting to see how long this this evil dude can drag it out. He sounds ready for the rubber room. They might <laughs> taking away in a straitjacket. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree, Walt. He really... Well, you know, you got Mayorkas there, who's the head of the Homeland Security, who's the guy they want to impeach because of the border problem. Mm-hmm. You know that guy? All right. He wrote a regulation that told the border guards that they have to make sure that they use the preferred pronoun when talking to an illegal immigrant. What is that? It means that when you meet the immigrant, you just don't say, what's your name? You know, what's your, you know, that type of thing. You have to say, what pronoun would you like me to use? I'd like to be respectful. Oh, that was one of the examples. How are you going to know which one is illegal and which one isn't? No, they're all illegal. Huh? All illegal that are coming over the border. Yeah, but how do you know who's illegal and who isn't? Yeah, I I mean, the the immigrants speak English perfectly so they can understand the the nuance of what the question you just asked. I mean, how, how many of them will speak English perfectly? Think, think of the lunacy here, okay? <laughs> you have just traveled thousands of miles, maybe been raped, maybe your children have been abducted. You've gone through hunger and, you know, wounds and, and all of this, and you get finally to your destination and they ask you, "Are you? should I address you as a she or a he? Oh, fuck. <laughs> I mean... It's like taking lunacy to a point. Even so, the people so we're the, talking so the, about. So the immigrants are going to commit suicide once they get here? Is that the plan? That's what? It. No, because I'm saying this is like such lunacy. Is like, and you just describe such a such an image of someone suffering all these things to get here. And when they get here, they get asked that question. 
How? What's going to stop them from killing themselves? Because well, the <laughs> what's going to stop it is that they're going to be given um, free road room and board in a, in a luxury hotel. They're oh, going God. to have the schools paid for. They're going to get uh, uh, money. They're going to be able to get you know work permits. Uh, all these wonderful benefits that you don't give to American citizens, but you do give them to these immigrants. But even even with that, there's a whole bunch of people went to to uh, Chicago, and this one um, Venezuelan family, the guy came out and said, "Things were better in Venezuela. We're going back home." And so then then the question was, who's paying for that trip? <laughs> you know, it's like probably us. Oh, you want to go home now? I don't think the Democrats would let them go because they're hoping that they'll vote for them. Mm-hmm. You know, this is this is a scam too. That's not why they're doing this. They're doing it to destroy the country. They want to bring in all these people of different cultures to, especially oh, especially if they if they've got you know, Hamas written on them. These people that are running this country right now are are just evil to the core. What's a what a what an irony naming that organization Hamas? I I don't know if that's a word in Palestinian or, or Arabic, but uh, in Spanish Hamas means never, like never again, and they choose that word. <laughs> it's kind of ironic, isn't it? That's interesting. Yeah, Hamas. Never again. Nunca jamás. Well, it, I, I was struck by the fact that these terrorist groups all start with H. You mm. got Hamas, you got the Houthis in Yemen, and you got the uh, Hezbollah in uh, Lebanon. What's with the H? Yeah, interesting. I don't know what that's about. but So... Um, Well, we're two minutes out here. Is there anything you guys wanted to say? Coffee? That would be that would be lovely at this time. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Think of it in a way of celebration of life with your family rather than all the depressing things. You can't do anything about the past. Do it about the future. The now. It- Yes, and you know, and thank, and be thankful that you know the Native Americans for, in the big spiritual thing of it, you know that yes, they paid the ultimate price for not, for for us being here, but let's dedicate ourselves to making America good for everybody. Yeah, you know, we can right the wrongs, maybe not for the people that were there to begin with, but for all the people afterwards. You know, we can we can do all this good stuff. It's just people think, oh, we can't. It's too big. It's too big. No, it's not too big. We can do it. That's my opinion. Count what, your blessings. Uh, name them one by one. Remember that. Well, I, I do that pretty regularly on a daily basis. A lot of people don't, though. No. Wrap I mean, them all I, in love blankets. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. If I knock something over and I somehow manage to catch it, I say yeah. thank. You know, I know yeah. it was just you know little things. 
Yeah. Oh, I got this. Thank you. That wasn't too bad to do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And um, it seems like the more gratitude you put out, the more things get easier, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. So thank you all for being here. We'll see you next time. Preaching, preaching the unknown.
You have been listening to the Cosmic Reality Radio Show, produced by Cosmic Reality Radio. Thank you for listening. Choose your heart.